Hi everyone, thanks for joining us for the next conversation in our Finishing Well series, a series dedicated to exploring how we, as people of faith, can journey through life's many transitions. Today, I'm joined by our own Eddie Mickle for a conversation about the end of a marriage. Eddie shares the story of how his first wife died tragically in an accident at their home. Eddie offers us both a piercing glimpse of the inner experience of losing a spouse, while also showing us how we can dare to hope in times of grief and loss. Marriage loss is something that affects so many of us, either directly or indirectly, through those we love. As people of faith, there's good work to do in learning how to walk well through these transitions, whether for ourselves or for those we love. I'm so glad you're here. Let's jump into the conversation. Well, Eddie, thanks for joining us today for another conversation in our Finishing Well series on what it means for us as people of faith to say goodbye and to do it well. Today we're talking about the end of a marriage, which can mean a lot of different things, can happen a lot of different ways to folks. Now, many of us here at King's Cross know about you and your wife, Victoria, and just the wonderful couple that you are, but some folks may not know that you were married previously. And so I was wondering, just for starters, if you could tell us a little bit about your first wife and how you met your life together, what that was like. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was fresh out of college um, and still, you know, integrated with that friend group, you know, from the late teenage years to the early, early 20s. I was single, was working my first job, Um, didn't really have too many cares in the world, paying off student debt. But other than that, you know, just, uh, you know, staying employed. Um, I hadn't dated anybody through college. Um, and so I was uh, not even really looking at that point. Um, so 2003, it was, uh, it was uh, January. I go to a really good friend of mine's um, house um, what I thought was going to be an intimate, just gathering, play some games, you know, grill out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as it turned out, um, his younger brother decided to throw a rager the same night. So we cloistered ourselves into one part of the house and the brother and football team and, and everybody is all over in the other side of the house and they're getting rowdy. We're just standing out by the fire like, you know, only two or three years older, but you know, look at these these <laughs> fools. Um, but anyways, one of the younger brother's friends that uh, the younger brother had had invited um, was cooking the chicken out on the grill, and uh, um, she caught my eye, mm. so I talked to her, and uh, um, it struck up a conversation. She was really pretty, you know, natural redhead, was uh, um, had a quick wit and. Uh, um, Gave me a hard time immediately, which is which is a good way to, uh, um, which is a good way to, to get in my good graces. And uh, anyways, you know, we we spent the rest. Of, uh, my my friends were actually kind of pissed. I ignored them for the rest of the night. Um, the uh, um, we ended up playing some game forever, and then she had to go. And uh, um, it was really kind of funny. The the funniest part of the whole thing was that the younger brother's party ended up getting raided by the police. <laughs> so made it even more memorable, you know, because um, I had to explain to her parents, you know, years later, 
exactly the <laughs> circumstances under which we had met. Thankfully, she left before you know that all happened, so she didn't get in trouble. But but anyways, I uh, um, got her number from one of her friends after she had left because you know me not being particularly bold didn't you know at the time because she didn't have a cell phone. It would have mm, been it was a home. Sure. home every, you know everybody had home phones and all that at the time, and uh, so anyways, I, I called her and. Uh, Asked her out on a date, and uh, we did. We went and all the all the things that I could afford, like Taco Bell and uh, going to uh, going to movies and stuff like that. And we we dated from um, then in 2003 all the way to uh, 2006. Uh, I asked her to marry me, and uh, you know scraped together everything I could, you know, to buy a ring and you know, help pay for a for a wedding, you know. And uh, it was we were both scared. 20-something kids didn't know what we were doing. Um, I had just started working at the base a year before in 2005. And so, okay, we can get our feet out from under us. We can get married. We can buy a house, you know, start having plan a family, things like that. We were so excited, you know, naive a little, mm. you know. She hadn't lived away from her parents at all. Um, before that, but she was very independent. She would go off and, and do things. Um, she worked several jobs. She loved animals. She mm -hmm. worked at a at a vet at a vet clinic for a little a little while. So we adopted many animals who needed money things over uh, over the course of the period of time before and after we were married. Um, and uh, um, it was very very happy. Very you know. Visceral, and you know there were challenges and struggles, but you know made uh, made the best of it, not really knowing any better. Um, and uh, yeah, 2006 November, and then uh, we got married, and then a year and a half later, you know May of uh, 2008, she's um, going on a girls' trip, you know, to visit a, a friend of hers in Knoxville, up late packing. You know, I, I go to bed because I've got to work the next day, and because uh, I know she's gonna she's gonna leave out early. I'm just gonna wake up. She's up doing laundry, and uh, I startled awake, um, middle of the night. It was like 2, 2 a.m. and uh, um, didn't hear anything in the house. The washer was going. Um, all the lights were on, so I woke up. You know, called out for. Her. Didn't hear anything. Dogs were outside, and uh, so I go looking, I go looking through the through the house. Couldn't find her. Doors were locked, so she hadn't she hadn't gone outside. And uh, last place I looked was uh, was the the basement. This house had a had a, a garage basement in it with a really awful rickety set of stairs going down into it. And as soon as I opened the door. Um, or went through the threshold. I saw her at at the bottom of the stairs, just a grotesque um, image. You know, blood around her head and and all that. I'm sorry for the graphic, mm -hmm. but um, that immediate, just like all of my everything, just dropped through mm -hmm. my feet. You know, and I didn't I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I had never had any type of medical training. I had never considered. That that type of emergency, mm -hmm. you know, happening, um, and so you know, I rushed down there and did, you know, 
everything I, I knew, you know, to do, talking to 911 and doing CPR. Um, and, uh, you know, I had the, the awful realization, you know, waiting for the paramedics to get there and everybody, that, that I was failing mm. to have any, that I couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, was, that was a tough knowledge to keep going you know, making compressions and with the dispatcher, you know, on speakerphone and with the, with the phone next to, next to me, and, and I'm freaking out. Sure. Um, that, was, that was probably singularly the worst um, experience of, of my, uh, my life. Um, and, uh, um, you know, go to the hospital, it's the middle of the night, you know, they do everything they can. I know in the in the ambulance and everything on the way, but they just couldn't get, they they couldn't fix mm -hmm. um, the trauma that had occurred. So, you know, I'm in shock. You know, I, I have to call her family in mm -hmm. the middle of the night, and all I can say is, you need to come to Harton. Mm -hmm. And I didn't tell them anything else at the time because um, I didn't want them to. I don't know. That's not something that you tell over the phone. Sure. And, uh, you know, called my family and, you know, everybody shows up. And, and I'm just sitting there in, in shock, you know, sitting next to a body covered in a, in a sheet. And all in my mind, you know, going over what could have, could have prevented this, what, could, what I could have done differently. Of what is going to happen, um, you know, because, you know, immediately, you know, everything that you, I thought the future was going to hold, just disintegrating before my, before my eyes, um, and, the, and there was, there was nothing. Mm. It was just, because there isn't a reality without her, mm -hmm. you know, in, in my mind at that point. I'm 20 seven years old at that point. Um, didn't know what to do. I mean, even, even, you know, I, I don't think that there's any age that you would really know what to do if that, because mm -hmm. that was the first big loss that I had ever suffered in mm -hmm. my, in my family, mm -hmm. close to me, you know, and it was the closest. And, uh, so that was, that was very, that was very, uh, traumatic. Mm. So let me, thinking back to those early days, and again, thank you for, for sharing that part of your story and having to go back there. Um, before we go forward, I, I don't know if we mentioned it. What was her name? Misty. Misty. Yep. Um, so thinking back to those early days, um, how, you know, I've, I've lost a parent, but I've never lost a spouse. That's a, a rare experience, particularly young like that. How... How would you describe those initial days once the, the shock begins to wear off, once some of the, the, the things you have to do are behind you, you know, and you're just home? Yeah. What, what was that like? Well, I was in shock for months, probably, uh, probably close to a year I was, I was in shock because you don't know what to do. Hmm. Never had planned for that. We didn't hadn't gone through like getting a whole bunch of, you know, life insurance or planning for that. We're going to live forever, right? Mm -hmm. We're 20. Mm -hmm. And... 
And so the realization, so I was fortunate, blessed to have um, amazing family and friends that just, you know, encircled us and helped figure out what to do, everything from bringing food to helping me pick out a casket, which was surreal, Mm. especially thinking back now, um, you know, but, uh, you know, she loved pink. She was a girly girl, (laughs) you know. Her her casket was bright pink because I knew that her uh, her her pistol had bright pink you know <laughs> grips on it. She, there was there was pink you wherever know, she involved. could get it right. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was that was definitely a uh, um, a theme. And so you know there was a little bit of little glimmer of still being able to do something for her mm-hmm. in that. But uh, but yeah, it was it was mostly shock because I didn't even know fully what that was going to do to my life, um, to who I was, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was, I was still very naive, you know, um, I had a false sense of security, obviously, as far as how tenuous mm-hmm. life is. Um, and to have a, an, an example right in front of me of life just getting snatched out mm-hmm. in, that was uh, that was that was, there was a great deal of shock, and so mm-hmm. those first few days in particular was just sitting and going over everything I remembered in in my mind, um, you know, having to retell the story, um, to be greeted by so many people who were close to me or just acquaintances, and, and to hear the same cliche, you know sorrow and sorry and all that kind of thing which you know everybody who goes through a loss you know that that's that's all there is to Mm -hmm. say Mm -hmm. and at the time too it's still also you know you know I don't want to I don't want to hear that um I just want I just want to go back to the way things were um, but you can't. And so there was a, you know, go through all the, all the different stages, you know, the bargaining, the anger, mm. the, you know, the denial. There was, um, you know, at, at, least, at least on the way and in the hospital, there was definitely some denial. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I was, I can't even recollect what happened mm. for the first probably two weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really don't. I do know that the, you know the the funeral services and the um, um, the graveside. Um, I just absolutely fell apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's even to this to this day. Watching a casket be lowered into the ground brings that up. Yeah, that's that's a so yeah. all those little all those little triggers that happen from from the those that bring up the memories that, that maybe I suppressed from the, mm-hmm. that first little bit, um, those are usually the, the strongest mm-hmm. ones for mm-hmm. sure. Now, I uh, didn't know you back then. You didn't know me. Um, so I'm, I'm curious as you think back on that, uh, you know, it, it occurs to me that whenever a, a marriage ends, whether it's through death or divorce or whatever it may be, that it can sort of happen at two speeds. Either um, death, for instance, like in the case of my mom, um, she was sick for a really long time. Yeah. So we knew the journey that she was on. And there's 
some ups and some downs to that. And in your case, it was the opposite. It was out of nowhere, yeah, out of the clear blue sky. And, um, you know, when you think back to who you were back then in your 20s, a young guy, young married guy, um, how, how did this experience, how did losing Misty change you? How did it impact you in those early days or early years? Well, it certainly, losing Misty definitely made me angry at myself for taking moments um, for granted. Mm. It, it, I, was, I was really angry with myself um, for, a, for a really long time. Um, for not intentionally making memories. Mm. And that's um, that's something I've been I've been blessed with people in my life since then who have helped me do better at making memories, not mm. just taking pictures of places, but taking pictures of people that I care about in mm. places. Right? Um, it's one of the things that Victoria is mm. such a um, such a blessing to me in my life is is the fact that she intentionally makes me the kind of person that, that, that puts myself in memories. Mm. Um, and, uh, and that's been, that's been great. Cause I needed that. That was something that I didn't, mm-hmm. um, know how to do mm-hmm. before. But yeah, marriage, you know, that, the losing Misty was, it happened and it was months before I, I even fully comprehended what that was. Mm. Right. You know, I still wore my ring for months and months. I kept her phone active for months and months just so I could call it and hear her voicemail greeting. You know, there was a the letting go process, even though we'd only been married for a year and a half, and I've been grieving that in, you know, in small ways at least this this entire time because that never that never goes away, mm. right? Mm. But grief is the price we pay for love, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but I've had to, especially having conversations with a lot of you know friends and people close to me and my own family, who have gone through relationship transitions where there is there is an end and there's something to mourn a loss mm-hmm. of from that you know. But all all three of the currently living Ed Mickles, um, myself being the youngest, and I've got my father and my grandfather, we have all, are all having to deal with the end of, of a marriage in, in different different ways. You know, I, I lost Misty, my wife, suddenly. My father and my mother got divorced five years ago, and that's, that was still, there's a great deal of mourning on mm-hmm. the part of myself, my sister, him, mm-hmm. and my mom, all dealing with that. Um, and there's a great deal of, of emotion, you know, sorrow and bitterness and all the things that you still go through. I, I remember it, it, it's still, it's still a, a difficult, difficult road to go through and, and you have to not lose yourself in. Um, and so uh, I have a great empathy for, for anybody going through going through the loss or the ending of a marriage when you especially if you fought for it as hard as as hard as you could whether it was doing chest compressions or whether mm. it was going through counseling and, and rib duking it out and then now my grandfather um, 
my grandmother, she's been dealing with lots of health issues from various types of cancers to, to dementia now. And, and he's had to sit with her and they're, you know, he's 90, my grandmother's in her late 80s, um, having to sit and watch her fade away, even mm-hmm. though her body is still there and, and now coming to, to the end of her life and, and knowing that there's, there's a transitionary period, you know, where you, in that situation, you're, you're mourning the loss of the person before they're even gone. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is in some ways even more heartbreaking, mm-hmm. you know. It's different because you can get some closure, because I I really didn't, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's still like you still have no control over that trajectory, and that's mm-hmm. that's uh, um, that is a, a really hard thing. Mm-hmm. So to I, I don't know if I have an answer to the question, yeah. yeah. But I empathize with all experiences mm-hmm. like that. Well, it strikes me too what you were saying about grief and, and the losing of a marriage and whatever way it comes about, yeah. <clears throat> there is a present grief, but also a future grief. Yeah. That it's the grieving, the absence or the pain or the loss today, but also part of today is grieving what the loss means for tomorrow. Yeah, the and memory what? that you can't that you can't share. Right, the dream you know, that's, that's right. gone, yeah. right? So talk to me a little bit about, uh, as a person of faith, I know you, you came to faith at an, at an early age. Um, looking back, um, maybe in those early days and even since then in the years since 2008, what role did faith play in your journey with grief or what role do you maybe wish it played in your journey with grief? So. I'll go ahead and start off by saying that how I handled that grief, um, especially right off, right away, was definitely um, one which makes me a bad example <laughs> of, of how to, to deal with grief. But at the same time, God was absolutely there. Mm-hmm. And, and I was absolutely clinging to um, that fact, um, really more in a, not an angry God, angry kind of at just the state of the world and the mm-hmm. fact that death exists in, in, in mm-hmm. any case mm-hmm. whatsoever, but really more rebelling. You know, anybody mm-hmm. who knew me then knew I was rebelling um, because I was intentionally, because I consciously said this to him, yelling in my backyard up at the stars at God, you're going to have to prove to me that I mm. am supposed to be here still. Mm. Um, because... I definitely took some steps and and acted in a way that was kind of seeking a way out mm. um, and uh, uh, daring God, if you will, to mm-hmm. uh, um, go ahead and and uh, and take me, but uh, but he didn't. Mm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that occurs to me that. Oftentimes, God shows up um, at times we don't expect and in ways we don't expect. Yeah. And perhaps that's what we can expect in a way. Yeah. So looking back, knowing who you are now and the journey you've been on, those, those early days, maybe early years, were incredibly painful and difficult, it sounds like. But 
knowing who you are today, I know there's more to the story. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. What was that journey? When did, when did that healing journey for you begin and, and how did, did God show up in the midst of that? So God showed up in the people that just gathered around me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 a lot of them weren't people of faith, but God can still work through mm-hmm. unsaved people. And, and a, lot of them, a lot of them were. And just the fact that I, a lot of the time, wasn't alone, you know, mm-hmm. even though I felt very alone, I, I, I was not left alone. Um, you know, I remember one of, the, one of the, the most difficult things to relearn how to do was to, um, to have fun, mm. right? Because I remember feeling so profoundly guilty Hmm. for catching myself enjoying something, you know, for the first time, you know, months later, and you go, they drag me out of the house, you know, tell me, take a shower, hmm. drag me out of the house, we're going to go see this movie, or we're going to go play softball, or we're going to go do whatever. Um, fantastic group of friends. Um, and uh, they, they, they made me enjoy myself. Um, and... Uh, uh, I learned, had to learn how to not feel guilty mm-hmm. for being happy, mm-hmm. you know? And that was, that, was a, that, was a big, that was a big thing, was, was allowing myself to feel joy again, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that was, that was definitely part of, the, part of the journey. And then, too, just being a lot more mindful than I ever had been before of seeking the awareness of the presence of, of God. When I was by myself, you know, and uh, I was sitting out in the backyard, looking up at the stars in, in the moments that I wasn't yelling at the sky, mm-hmm. um, pleading, you know, with God, you need to show me why I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or, or even that that you're that you care what mm-hmm. I'm going through. Even though I knew it, I was like, I kind of want to see it mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. right? And I remember one of the coolest things that that happened, you know. And I'm I'm not one to really um, make make signs and and everything a necessity, um, but. It's nice to know when somebody else puts in the effort just to let you know, hey, I care about you. And so mm-hmm. the, the, with God, it's the same way. I remember sitting outside and, and, and stating that to God. It's like, I, I need to know that you're here. And at that, at that exact moment, every single um, firefly mm-hmm. in the yard just lit up mm-hmm. all at once. It was so cool. Mm-hmm. It sounds silly, but, but it was cool. In, yeah. in that moment, yeah. But uh, and I think the the desire to not feel alone was what really drove me, because that was that was the that was the overriding emotion was that I was now alone. Mm-hmm. Right, no matter, because nobody understood. You know, if I if I came across somebody who 
I knew had lost a spouse, I would be like Velcro, mm -hmm. you know, just to just to know that there was somebody who halfway understood what uh, what that was like. But um, hmm. But that did make me very conscious of the fact that everybody's walking around having lost something. Mm. May not have been the death of a spouse. Mm -hmm. Again, divorce or just watching, you know, your your spouse wither away health-wise. Mm -hmm. um, so, so leaning into that, you know, empathy, knowing that you can't fix it for mm -hmm. for that other person, and knowing that you can't smother them, you know, with you know all of these cliches and homilies, or you know, and and you can't tell them that it's going to be okay. Time heals everything because mm -hmm. it it doesn't. Mm -hmm. The truth is, we will grieve till we die, mm -hmm. and the sweetness of it is that that changes. Mm -hmm. That changes to expressing love differently. Yeah. Um, One of the things I'm curious about um, that ties into love you talked about and which I, I think is, is connecting back to joy as well. You mentioned that. It reminds me of Nehemiah where he encourages the people, reminds the people that the joy of the Lord is your strength. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm curious for folks who are perhaps in that place, maybe early on in their own journey of having to say goodbye to a marriage for whatever reason. Um, what, what advice or what wisdom would you offer them as a person of faith? What, what did it look like for you to let go of the guilt for feeling joy, let go of the guilt for experiencing love? Um, how do you do that? Talking about it, mm. <laughs> right? Being being vulnerable, it takes the power of the worst thing that's ever happened to you. It keeps you from being that, mm. because if if you allow, if I allow, the worst thing that ever happened to me to be all that I ever ever was, then I would always be broken, mm -hmm. and broken for the wrong reasons, right? Because. We live in a fallen world. We live in a dichotomy where for, for, for joy to exist, there has to be brokenness because, because we live in a, in, a, in a sinful world. And so when, when I now recognize brokenness in myself, right? Because I, I forget the lessons that I've learned in the past <laughs> all the time. I, I forget the grace that I was given all the time and, and live either selfishly or, you know, or short-sighted and, and, but when that, when that recollection comes back, when, when that prompting, you know, by the Holy Spirit comes back, it's important to say, God gave me this story and not just the story either, because people don't have to know why I am the way that I am. People mm -hmm. don't have to know, you know, what it is that, that, that broke me. People who maybe watch me go through life and maybe criticize, 
you know, how I, how I live or make fun of, because you know, I'm a little goofy, a little weird. <laughs> I'm a little strange. I was a homeschool kid. Right. Me you too, know, by the way. Me right. Too. And yeah. so, you know, and, and they don't have to know the cost, the mm. personal cost of becoming that. But it made me resolved to show empathy because in showing empathy and in being vulnerable enough to just step into another person's life or listen without judgment or, or tell somebody that you struggle with the same things mm-hmm. um, after a loss or during a loss and then just being there, um, it takes the power away mm-hmm. of your own grief, not, mm-hmm. just, not just theirs. And so dealing with that, um, it, it's, it's got to be a surrender, right? It's like, a, you, God, you've given me all of these, this amazing life because my, my life is, is enriched tenfold, mm-hmm. you know, in all of the years. It's not by any virtue of my own because I don't deserve any of this. But, uh, but in being grateful for what I have and being grateful what I, for what I've lost even because it makes the good things so much brighter mm-hmm. Because you know they're temporary. Mm-hmm. You know that it's, it's fleeting. And so you cling to the things that actually are eternal. Mm-hmm. You know, wanting to know that I'm going to spend eternity with all of these people mm-hmm. um, that, that I'm building a life with. It's not, it's not just about what we're going to go eat for lunch after, after mm-hmm. Sunday services. Mm-hmm. It's about what we're going to be joyfully singing, mm-hmm. you know, for years, the, the, the new heaven and new earth. Um, that I, before Misty died, didn't have anybody to look forward to seeing again. Hmm. So that, that hope is important. That's, you know, and I, I can't imagine how hopeless it would be to not have that, to mm-hmm. not have that promise, that hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's why it's even more important to step into people's lives who, who are lost, who, mm-hmm. who are struggling with that, who have not only just lost everything they thought what their future was going to be, but any hope mm-hmm. beyond that. And, and I think that, um, you know, even to something you were asking me before, how does my faith see, see me through? Well, that was, there, there are a few times, that was really the only hope the, that, I, that I could cling mm-hmm. to. Um, and in some case to my detriment, because I wanted to get there sooner than I should have <laughs> wanted to get there. Yeah. But... Um, but that's, I've come out the other side far more optimistic, mm-hmm. far more secure in my own failures and shortcomings and sinful nature um, because it makes the, the, the grace and the forgiveness mm-hmm. so much sweeter, mm-hmm. you know? It, you talk and reminds me where, where Paul and Thessalonians, they're, they're struggling with the fact that people in their community are dying before Jesus comes back. And yeah. he reminds them, he says, while we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Yeah. And it's I a, think that's in some ways a lot of freedom for us that we, we need to grieve. Life important. is full of grief, but... And we shouldn't grieve alone. Right. And that that's what this is about. Perhaps you're right that... that maybe some of the encouragement I hear, right, for those of us maybe today that are listening in on this conversation and aren't going through a, aren't walking through the end of a marriage, but maybe are close to someone that is. Yeah. 
that what I hear you saying, perhaps one of the most helpful things we can do is to be that, that agent, that ambassador of hope, that there is in a way um, the joy you experience at a good movie or a softball game or a good meal or a good laugh is in some ways a little taste yeah. of that hope to come, yeah. that joy to come. Absolutely. That's definitely been the theme of, of most of the discussions I've had with, with people who, you know, because inevitably you find each other. Mm-hmm. You know, people who've lost spouses, you, you find each other. Um, and and you, you have those, those conversations. And, uh, and though that's really the, the theme is um, finding that hope again, allowing yourself to, to find joy again mm-hmm. in, in life. One of the things you said earlier stood out to me where you, you talked about that grief is not uh, a moment in time. It's not something that um, has a beginning, middle, and end. Perhaps it has a beginning and a middle, but it maybe doesn't have an end, right? It's something that we carry with us. This is obviously, I, I appreciate it so much your vulnerability. This is still a, a place of sadness and hurt that just will always probably be there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, I'm I'm interested to know what have you learned um, as a person of faith in how to carry your grief what what are maybe some some pieces of advice or words of wisdom you can offer that for those of us who carry grief whether it's with a marriage or any number of other things a loss in general um, what have you learned about how to carry it well versus maybe some ways that aren't so well so carrying it well means like i said before talking about it you know finding a counselor mm-hmm. right because your friends can't can't carry all of those things because they don't understand and they will give bad advice huh. um i have given bad advice to people whose experiences i haven't been through and and what we what we don't want to do is 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 stumble through a process thinking, oh, here's a solution, here's a solution, here's a solution. Um, uh, and definitely what you don't want to do is, I'm a bad example. You know, I was in my 20s. I didn't know what I was, what I was even doing. I was in a rebellious phase. If, if you want a good example of somebody who's gracefully and faithfully, you know, gone through the, the loss of a spouse, I mean, there's plenty in this church, you know, Stacey Potts, Janet Patterson, and, mm-hmm. and I was a bad example. Mm-hmm. I immediately started self-medicating and being an adrenaline junkie. I bought, I bought a sport bike and I was, I was, I was pretty convinced that I was, I was not going to survive that first year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was okay with that. And, you know, it took a while, you know, sitting in, um, sitting in that basement surrounded by shriveled up flower arrangements mm-hmm. for months with a bottle of Jack Daniels and a pistol. It took a lot um, to eventually come back around to the fact that, okay, God, if you've got, you've, you've obviously, I'm still here for a reason. Let's start moving forward, mm-hmm. you know? And so I put, put, those things, put those things down. But my initial response to that loss was incredibly self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that I lived, I'm sure it was painful for my 
anybody who who loved me, mm-hmm. um, cared about, um, that ca- and cared about me to to watch and be powerless to stop me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I, I would say, what really convinced me to find a positive, to find you know, okay, God, I'm here for a reason. Let's see, let's see how we can channel this and be a blessing to other people. Is because. I realized very quickly, if I take myself out of this world, or if I just continue to be destructive and negative and the things I said to people were not positive, you know, I, I was again in rebellion. Uh, I eventually realized I need to live and I need to make it through this if for no other reason than because it would devastate other people to lose me too. Mm. And I need, if I'm, if I'm going to actually make, be able to, to, to channel anything good that God can create through this, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to lose my attitude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to lose my attitude a little bit and be, be open to that. And it took, it took a lot. The people who were around me and closest to me during that period of time, God bless them. They were so patient with me. Mm-hmm. That that transition, my, my parents especially, but it was years, you know. Um, and so, my advice, I guess, would be: surround yourself with people that love you, and remind yourself that you are the survivor. That that they need to see. Um, come out the other side, mm-hmm. that, 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 that there can be um, glory for God that comes out of any, any situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, don't care, I don't care what it is. And you have to, you have to be willing to, to see that. And it took that switch being flipped in my head to where I'm just going to act out to, okay, I'm going to get out of the way so that God can actually work through this. Mm. And that was, that attitude adjustment was the turning point. It made all the difference. It made, yeah. it made all the difference. And, and if I hadn't had people around me kind of, you know, bumping me <laughs> and, and shuffling me in the right direction. And so surround yourself with people that actually really, truly care about you. And mm-hmm. that will become evident mm-hmm. when the chips are down. Mm-hmm. The people that show up, you know, and they don't have to show up all the time, but the people that show up when it counts, hang on to them. Yeah, it's a good word. Um, that reminds me, I'm uh, kind of a, as a follow-up to that, it, it seems to me that there's a balance or a tension because on the one hand, part of grieving well is to make space to sort of go inward, to be focused on our self and our story and that sometimes there are, some of us, that when what we need to do is grieve, we run the opposite direction. We work more, we seek pleasure more, we numb out more, we do this mm-hmm. stuff. We, we don't do the hard work of being self-focused at a time that we need yeah. to. On the other hand, part of what I hear you saying that, was, that made all the, the difference for you was getting to a place where you got outside of yourself and you said, hey, there is... Even if I don't feel valuable, I see that I am valuable in the eyes of another. Or I see I, I can contribute here, show up here, be present here. And so there's that tension of mm-hmm. needing to go inward and needing to go outward in that way. 
did did you ever? It sounds like you did, but did you feel that tension? And and did did you ever have much luck finding a balance well, between the two? As you say that, <laughs> I remember identifying a lot with um, some parts of of Job's story. I will mm-hmm. never claim to be as godly a man as as Job was. <laughs> But he definitely sat down in his sackcloth and ashes and was woe is me for a little while. And his his friends came and you know kicked him in the in the rear, and uh, and they made him talk about it. Mm-hmm. And um, unbeknownst to Job or his friends, at least until God showed up and told him what was what, um, there was a lot going on that was bigger than Job. Mm-hmm. You know. And so I had to did have a realization, you know, especially months later and years, you know, later, was that whatever it, it was really irrelevant, what was done right, what was done wrong, um, any regrets. Um, it was really a matter of, do I have faith that God is going to see me through this and out the other side? for the for my own good and for His glory, or do I not? Mm-hmm. It's because it's, it's, it's a yes or no question. There's no in between. There's no, well, maybe there is none of that. It's so I, I had to, I had to absolutely say, well, I absolutely do believe that God has my best interests in mind. He has always been faithful to take care of me before. Uh, why would I, why would I doubt him now? This mm. really sucks. <laughs> but I know that there is a good outcome, mm-hmm. even if it's after life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I absolutely rejected um, the lies of Satan to say, well, this is absolutely hopeless. Your God doesn't care about you. All, all, the, all that stuff. And so I identified quite a bit with the, the story of Job in that it was a really truly a fight between, you know, God and Satan over, okay, this dude's lost everything. Does he still believe that you are good? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I know that God is good. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that mindset, um, again, was a, started a trajectory that had lots of bumps in, along the way, you know, some ups and downs. And there's been plenty of, plenty of other things that have happened in my life since mm-hmm. then that have mm-hmm. definitely been highs and some lows and really rocky. But that set the tone for, because there's not been nothing happened since then that was anywhere as bad as that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it set the tone for being able to look past it and say, mm-hmm. do I believe that God loves me and has, has my best interests in mind, uh, even whether I can see it or not, because mm-hmm. what I want is not necessarily my best interest. Mm-hmm. And and is he and is he good and is he holy and is he um, is his glory going to be known through this? And then the next question is: Do I am I going to be a willing participant in that or not? Mm-hmm. And uh, since then, the answer is always yes. Mm-hmm. There've been a few times I've been kicking and screaming yeah. and not wanting to yeah. because it's hard, but. God has shown me as he's led me through every circumstance that has been extremely difficult since then um, that where my heart is inclined makes the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as you say that, it it strikes me that one of the things that loss brings to us is a a loss of control. Yeah. And... 
in many ways, a loss of independence, which is kind of a weird way, but part of what I hear even in your story of, of losing Misty, it, it brought you to this place where you had to be surrounded and held up yeah. in that way. And um, in losing um, that independence, it created an opportunity, though, for you to move towards God in dependence. Yeah. And out of self-sufficiency into that dependency in a way. And so it strikes me that in those moments, we have a choice to make of where do we turn, to whom do we turn. But if we turn to God, then it opens up this whole new world to us. So I'm a, I'm a big believer when it comes to whether it's encountering God in scripture or in life or through the stories of other people that God is always interested in teaching us, telling us something about who God is and or who we are. And so I'm curious as you look back on this journey that's still ongoing for yeah. you, um, is the, what stands out to you? What's maybe some one thing you've learned about who God is through this journey and maybe one thing you've learned about who you are, who God made you to be through this journey? I definitely learned that I have a lot more to learn. <laughs> um, that's, that's definitely for sure. Um, the thing that I think I've learned about myself the most is that I, I tend to, you brought up control and you brought up independence. Those are two things that, boy, I like <laughs> having control and I like being independent. And so uh, I've, I've had to learn how to not immediately withdraw. Mm-hmm. And I still, I still do that. Whenever, I'm, whenever I get thoughtful, I go off by myself. Mm-hmm. You know? And th- there's nothing wrong with that, but I've had to learn how to communicate better that that's how I'm dealing with things. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'd probably drive Victoria crazy, <laughs> you know, with, with all the things that are going on up here and very little of that actually makes it, makes it out. So learning about myself through this process is making sure that the people around me not only know what's going on with me, but also know exactly how much I care about them. Because mm-hmm. that is one of the most important things that I've learned um, that I need to get better at through this process is telling people that I love them telling people when I'm thinking about them and actually making, making plans. I am terrible at all of those things. So I'm definitely, I'm not saying that as if I've figured it out by any means, but I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, it, it bears, you know, saying, um, the thing that I learned about God is that he can turn, um, a control freak that has no idea how to control anything <laughs> and an independent person who ultimately when the chips are down, um, falls apart um, in in an emotional you know in an emotional way um, that he can still use me mm. to um, because there there have been so many occasions you know especially when I've been thrust into you know leadership positions you know either here or at work or helping youth or, or, or any of those things I felt woefully inadequate. It was like, I've, so far, I feel like I'm a bad example for how to, get, how to be anybody. And yet the words that need to be said still come through when, mm. when I allow the Holy Spirit to mm. be like, I can't control this, mm. you know, and I'm not going to be independent. I'm mm. going to be mm. dependent on you and I am going to give up my control. So, so what I learned about God is that he is faithful to 
be sacrificed to. Mm -hmm. And the greatest sacrifice we can make is our will. Mm. You know, because, you know, I can do things or I can not do things depending on what, you know, I think God may be wanting. And that's, that's fine. You know, that may be difficult, but it's not the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice is giving up on what I think should happen or what I think um, um, the way of, of things needs, needs to be. And that is the hardest mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing that most people keep to themselves, right? Is mm-hmm. their ultimate will of what they want. But giving that up, um, that is... Uh, that is something that I've learned God is, is worthy of. Mm, mm. That's great. It's uh, back to that theme of hope, right? That even, um, even in the midst of loss, even in the midst of pain, even yeah. in the midst of um, sometimes shame or doubt, self-doubt, there is this promise and hope that not only is God with us, but God is interested in involving us Absolutely. in the bigger story. Yeah, he lets, he lets um, us be part of this grand plan um, that is moving through, that we just get, we get to be witnesses of in our generation. Mm-hmm. We get to be witnesses of God's glory because he doesn't need us. Mm-hmm. He wants us. Mm-hmm. He loves mm-hmm. us. And that's, that's, the, that's the important um, thing that I, that I always keep going back to. That's a good word. Well, uh, I've got one more question for you, but before I get to that, I, I know some people that maybe uh, have been listening in in our conversation want to know um, what happened next, right? I know you're talking about joy and happiness and those those pieces. So for, for those that want to know the a little bit of the rest of the Eddie Mickle story and perhaps how another person came into your life, um, fill us in just a little bit on... Um, some of those those years that came after. So in the years that came after, I, even though I, I came to a, a much healthier place as far as dealing, you know, with with things and being who I was, I utterly gave up on, um, you know, well, that's, that's my one love. That yeah. was that was that was kind of it. I, you know, I'm I'm just gonna kind of go through my life seeking happiness where I can, you know, but not really make any deep connections because you know I don't want to get hurt again. Uh, was was one of the things you know and uh you know so i was i was just not looking for anything else and then um i'm in the, the coffee cafe which isn't open anymore in manchester having some lunch and uh, one of the owners who is um w- was very much a jeff it was very much a uh, um a, a matchmaker you know, starts talking to me about, you know, this girl that comes in who cuts hair in the shop, in the, in the salon, you know, behind, uh, um, behind the restaurant and, you know, ends up sitting us next to each other all, most of the time that, that I'm, that I'm in there. And, you know, me being the charmer that I am, I strike up a conversation and, uh, you know, and she's hot, <laughs> still is. Um, and so I, uh, continue, you know, talking, to her and she's not having it. She's like, I'm this little boy riding a motorcycle. <laughs> doesn't want doesn't want anything to do with that. I'm just trouble. You know, get away from me. But I was persistent. I was I was very uh, very persistent and I was very uh, um, very smitten. Um, even though I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I was I was very uh, very much at odds with my um, with my desire to, to not be able to be hurt again. And then also, you know, I was also, 
I knew that I, as soon as I had a taste of somebody that I actually wanted to spend time with, mm -hmm. I knew there's no way that I could go through life alone. Mm -hmm. And I also needed something, somebody who very specifically understood what it's like to grieve a relationship. Mm. And so we, we, we formed kind of a camaraderie mm. uh, a little bit with, with, our, with our own stories, you know, together. And, uh, you know, tumultuous. We, we, we healed each other in a lot of ways, and we also broke each other in a few other ways that we had to finally deal with. And, and so there was an incredible personal evolution between myself and Victoria that I love so much because she didn't put up with my with my mm -hmm. stuff you know if i was acting out or whatever she would she would tell me and still does and that is that is absolutely what i need and so again it's a testament to the faithfulness of god to put people in your life that you need to okay. become the person that you that you need to be in you know i would be lying if i said i i i don't do anything right Mm -hmm. any, on, any, on any given day of the week, I'm going to make so many mistakes, and Victoria will, will tell you this for sure, too, um, and she makes mistakes, but, but we always come together, and it's finding joy in imperfection because that imperfection is made perfect mm -hmm. if it's centered around knowing that God has brought that uh, together, to brought my, my marriage with Victoria um, blessings every single day um, that I know of, and it makes me want to work hard because it, it can all go away in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it sucks to be reminded of that, mm -hmm. but it also makes it so much sweeter. Mm -hmm. That's a good word. Well, let me uh, wrap up our time together with this. This is kind of a, a question I like to ask all of our folks that are a part of these conversations. Um, what would be, I'm gonna maybe kind of modify yours slightly. We've talked about um, both folks who are in the process of walking through a season of ending in their marriage for any number of reasons, but also those who are uh, walking alongside someone they love who is going through that. Yeah. What would be a, either a word of encouragement or advice or wisdom that you would offer both of those groups? Maybe one word for someone walking through it themselves one word for those wanting to love someone well who's walking through an ending like that? So honestly, there's really not any good advice. <laughs> Number one, because every single situation is gonna be different. Every single person who's either going through it or has a friend going through it is, is going to be in a different place in their life. My experience was a snapshot in time and I could relate, I think, far more to somebody who is, who is young and you know, either didn't see it coming or didn't have any contingencies, you know, in, in, in life. You know, that's just the bottom fell out of, you know, a two-income household just became a one-income household. So the advice is different for those different things. Um, but if you are, you know, um, walking through that, ask for help. Don't do what I did and hold it all in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Don't don't f don't feel like you can't be be vulnerable. Ask f ask for help mm -hmm. um, because the people around you want to do for you, but they don't know how. Mm -hmm. You know they they don't know how. It is impossible to know what somebody else needs when they have lost half of their life, mm -hmm. and um, 
And so asking for help is not only okay, it's, it's, it should be mandatory. It, it, it absolutely should be. So be aware of what you need in a moment and surround yourself with people who, who you feel comfortable asking for mm-hmm. that. That is, that is the, the best way to survive mm-hmm. and grow through, through any of that is, is to ask for help. Um, and as far as for the group who, who is, is, is walking alongside, you know, somebody who has just, just lost somebody, again, um, be available. Um, you know, you, you can't fix all of the problems, and there is both alone time needed. Um, ref- restrain yourself from giving a whole lot of advice, because mm-hmm. unless you know exactly what the answer is... Um, most of the time, at least in my experience from, from me, I just wanted somebody to sit with me and mirror my grief. Because mm. um, that created a space that was safe enough for me to ask for what I needed. Mm. Um, because if somebody was just doing and doing, I would just let that happen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's the, the, the biggest, you know, advice. Somebody that's young that has gone through a loss, they're going to need a lot of things, a lot of things that they're not even going to realize they need to ask for, mm-hmm. you know, you know, um, how to, you know, get rid of vehicles and how to set things up to, to uh, uh, financially. You know, I didn't even know how to take somebody off of my mm-hmm. bank accounts and stuff. After mm-hmm. I, I, like a year later, I went to the bank and was like, I need to take Misty off of my banking and you know my savings and, and, and checking accounts. And, and uh, um, that was such a horrible, mm-hmm. horrible experience. Help them do that, you know, um, or find somebody that can help them help them do that, you know. But, uh, but yeah, f- be available. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's going to be the, the biggest advice. Well, I know those long, sorry. No, Eddie, I just appreciate you being available for this conversation, not only sharing out of the, the truthfulness, the fullness of your story, but also um, making that choice not only long ago, but even up to today to let God work through you and speak through you that I've been blessed by that and uh, enriched by it and just know how grateful I am that you are here and living and working in our midst. Uh, thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Scott. I, I definitely always appreciate every chance we get to talk, um, even though usually it's not you know, <laughs> under, the, under the lights. But I'm thankful for you too. I'm very grateful that you're here as well. Thank you, Eddie.